Hey everybody, what's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. It's Monday again. Here we go. We got some episodes for you today. This is another two-part, or not two-parter, but two-live uh, stream day. We got this one for you here with uh, Michael Wilson and Dr. Mike Merrill. We're going to be talking about a couple of different things and, and their book as well. Uh, but this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Get Past Your Shit, the book. Uh, author is Kelly McCausey, and she's actually a friend of mine. If you look down below, you'll see a little bit of information on the ticker tape there. Um, I've read uh, the first chapter of this book, which is... Uh, Kelly's story. Uh, I'm not a big reader ever since I got out of prison. I do not like to read anymore. But uh, since I've read 300 books while I was in there, uh, maybe it's PTSD. I don't know. You, you, could be anything. Uh, other than that, uh, our next uh, broadcast will be at 4 o'clock p.m. Uh, P- Pacific Standard Time today. And we will be talking to Dan Reeves, who is the host of the Spiritual Underground podcast. And we'll be talking about alcohol uh, addiction and his story. Uh, so let's go ahead and hit the, uh, the, whatchamacallit here, our intro. And when we get back, we'll have uh, Mike and Mike in studio. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a long-time methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Gotta love technology. I hate it when it does that. (laughs) How you guys doing, man? We've got... Doing well. So we've got Michael Wilson and we've got Dr. Mike Merrill here. And you wrote a book called... And I have it here. Hold on. Don't tell me. It is... Why do people act that way? And Mike, uh, Dr. Mike, you're the one that wrote this book, right? I am, and it's got a subtitle, which is extremely important, a second question, and what can I do about it? So why do people act that way is a question on many, many people's lips frequently, and what can I do about it is a great follow-up question we wrote on both of those questions. Oh, I, I, I would love to know. There's t- there's a few different people that act in a way that I just can't stand. And uh, I would love to do something about it. But unfortunately, I <laughs> what I want to do is not legal. <laughs> it may be that what you want to do to them isn't possible, but what you do to yourself is possible. Um, yeah, true, true, true. Uh, and you guys both, you, you do a, a YouTube channel as well, right? That both of you are involved in, correct? <laughs> right, right. It's called Gripping Reality. 
And that YouTube channel is 5020 Communications on YouTube. If you look that up, then you can subscribe there. Um, all of the direct links to everything, the books that they've suggested, all the stuff and all the places that you can find them are available in the, in the description. And if you're going to be listening to this on a podcast platforms, which this will be airing probably in about a month, um, you will find all that in the show notes as well. So, why don't you guys go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourselves? And I know that uh, from what I've read, that both of you have um, been affected by somebody in your family, a loved one that has passed from cancer. Correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Okay. That's so that's kind of like the bottom that that uh, was described in the questionnaire thing that I sent out there that uh, you both have probably struggled with. And if you want to touch on that, you can, otherwise we'll talk about the book and uh, you know, you know, kind of what you guys are doing. And I have some questions for you, some talking points that I'd like to uh, address as well. So the floor is yours. I'm the East coast version of Mike. I spell Mike with a Y and my buddy on the other coast, Mike Wilson is with an I He's the West Coast Mike. I'm the East Coast Mike. And we do a tremendous amount of training, consulting, interviews, live stuff, dead stuff. We just, we work together really well. We've been friends for about 35 years, 36, but who's counting? Mike is. And uh, one of the things that we really emphasize is that Mike, West Coast Mike, is the empathetic one. And I'm just the pathetic one. So <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that, but we really want to dive into that today. Uh, yeah, I mean, we are glad to be here. Uh, we uh, actually just finished, uh, we wrapped up, uh, I don't know how many months of work uh, on a course that we're launching um, with Astero Global. Uh, it should be out in mid June sometime. Um, We've been working on it since August last year, so it's been yeah. a long, long process. Well, it's no. a course on uh, called uh, Emotional Agility. And so we teach across the spectrum on perceptions, how emotions work, uh, how motivations factor into that, what, what our behaviors are. We, we get the whole package. And this is wow. aimed at, this is aimed at uh, a corporate leadership and actually kind of middle uh, somewhat corporate leadership uh, on how to be able to navigate and deal with emotional, their emotions and, and facilitating that within the corporate world, which no one wants to talk about. And we're kind of like that. We kind of wade into uh, many things that we probably shouldn't wade into, but we do anyway. Uh, we don't because... use the word should. <laughs> Mike just did a, a violation of one of our core tenants. We do not use the words need, should, ought, or must. And so whenever one of us says one of those forbidden words, the other one will call them on it. And I'm usually the caller and he's the callee. That's mm. not true because he really needs to get a life. And I, I ought to do something about it. And it must be done right now. What can I say? Sean, take over. You're going to lose it. Yeah, yeah, that's funny, man. You guys are great. Um, so the behavior thing is something that I talk about quite often just yep. because of my own personal experiences in my past. Um, you know, I had a lot of 
negative behaviors, a lot of like, so I was the toxic person in the room, you know, when I would come into somewhere or when I was in a relationship or whatever it was, I had the behaviors that were learned and kind of ingrained over 40 years and, you know, going to prison, that doesn't, that doesn't help anything. Mm -hmm. It's not designed to help you uh, change any of those behaviors. It's designed to give you a timeout. You know, now there are exceptions to that rule. And usually the people that are doing, you know, 10, you know, long periods, long stints of time tend to change those behaviors because they have nothing else better to, not that they don't have anything else better to do, but they have a long time to think about what they've done. You know, when you've spent less than five years, you know, you're usually going to, do a lot of working out, do a lot of, uh, you know, getting your body in shape and, and looking good that way. But when you come out, that's that toxic person still there because you haven't dealt with it. So I'd love to hear more about these behaviors and how you can kind of change them. One, one of the ways in which we have analyzed behavior, of course, in human activity, there are trillions of options of how one acts. But we bring that entire question to two pathways you can engage a behavior or you can disengage a behavior. And that becomes a very critical aspect of do I act out or do I choose not to act right now? So maybe you think of something to say, it's on the tip of your tongue, but you choose not to say it. That becomes a disengaged behavior. Or if you choose to blurt it out, It's an engaged behavior. We find that in understanding the dynamic of how people see reality and their part in that reality, the question of do I engage or do I disengage becomes very insightful as to what's really going on. And what Hmm. we want to do and what we do in our training is we actually go way below the surface of all of that and we look at the dynamic of how does what goes on for that engaged or disengaged behavior. And so we ask two, which people would say are pretty simplistic questions, but to be blunt about it, many times the simple things are the most profound things. And we ask, so what is something doing to you? And then the second question is, what can you do about it? Now that sounds, well, yeah, but, what we do is we've built a whole a whole platform around that to be able to figure out what is your reality what drives the engaged or disengaged behavior because you might understand the behavior but if you don't know what the substance or where the roots lie within that how are you going to change that effect and so or, or even gonna, address it. How are you going to even yes, address it? Because it might it, not right. be something. It might not be something that you want to change or that you can change. But that's why we call our podcast "Gripping Reality." Until a person actually grips, takes hold of, takes ownership for their own reality, it's not somebody else's fault, not somebody else's responsibility. It belongs to the person. If they can grip that they can begin to deal with it. It might be resolution. It might be starting something new. It might be ending something old. But the issue of gripping it uh, really becomes a critical first step. What does this event do to me? What's it doing to me? If I can grip that, I will be able to deal with it. 
Now, sometimes an event is so sharp, razor sharp, that people find their emotional fingers getting cut to shreds. They say, I can't grip it. We can teach them how to grip very sharp things, things that are too hot to handle, stuff that's too heavy or sometimes too light. I can't get it's like fog. How do you get a hold of fog? How do you understand mist? Well, you we can teach people how to grip what is too light, too heavy, too hard, too brutal, too far distant in the past. But getting a grip on that reality really is the first step. Right. Now, now, what would you do? Let's say because for myself, I'm, and I'm using me as an example because I because I do. Um, what about? Uh, like lying for me was so second nature that like before I would even realize I was doing it, it was like, boom, it was already out there. Right. And it was like almost an auto response. Now I have come across people that absolutely are not aware of how they are being, you know, they're not aware of how they act or at least they act like they don't. And I really do believe that some of them didn't. And so what I found and when, you know, through my, my journeys and I was going and, and I went to a, uh, a therapeutic community to go visit. I was actually in one uh, when I was younger, but it was, was way too young to understand the value of what I had and what I'd gone through. But what I've found to work in calling out behaviors is being able to call them out, you know, cause if you're not aware of them and you don't have anybody around you, that's telling you about them and saying, Hey, look, do you're, you're manipulative and you're doing this wrong or you're doing this and this is how you're showing up. It's really hard to kind of pinpoint that stuff for yourself unless some really big event happens around that behavior where, where you have no choice but to look at it. Kind of core in our book, uh, Why Do People Act That Way, is the concept that there are five emotional systems. There's only five. We have mild versions moderate versions and intense versions. But the five emotional systems become very, very helpful in addressing something like uh, perpetual lying. Let's just take that one. Uh, the five emotional systems are in the, in the easiest terms, love, fear, anger, sadness, and happiness. Those are the five. And the words that we use more, more technical are acceptance, exposure, empowerment, depletion, and celebration. So let's go back to lying. What is lying in reality? If you're going to get a grip on it, what is lying in reality? So it's taking a truth and saying, I'm going to create an opposite truth. Why would a person do that? To me, at the onset, that's about power. So we're, if it's about power, it's in the area of empowerment. So I'm going to begin exploring anger issues, uh, unresolved matters where a person feels powerless or victimized, and the way in which they're dealing with that level of powerlessness is to create a reality that they actually own because they created it. They're god of the lie. And so now they can do anything they want with that falsehood, that lack of truth. 
They can manipulate it. They can massage it. They can present it. They can trick others with it. All of those are power plays. So if we're going to deal with lying on the surface, you shouldn't lie. You need to stop lying. That's why we don't use need, should, ought, and must. They're just worthless <laughs> words. So you say, okay, is the issue really the lying or is it the need for power that is beneath the lie? And so what I would look at then is that the, the reality that the person is getting a hold of seems to be challenged with powerlessness and they want to be empowered, but they don't know how to do it. So lying becomes easy. How much does it cost to come up with a lie? Absolutely nothing. You can make up lies all day long. They don't cost you anything because you're fabricating something out of nothing. So we can then deal with the underlying issue instead of the surface issue. And I would say you could take the same thing for with the concept of lying, which we would call celebration. And maybe in your maybe in your world, you are a person who wants a scenario that everything is wonderful. Everybody's happy. It's a good thing. You want to be on a dopamine high all the time. And so you are making this reality that is we would call celebration that is high intensity in celebration that you have formulated because you want to feel good all the time. So again, it comes back to the key, the core of this is it comes back to what's the motivation underneath this, that you're using the emotion you're using to get what you want. And it could fall within any of those categories very simply. Actually, Mike, that's a really great one because sometimes lying is not motivated by anger or rage. It's the thrill of it's lying. The thrill of lying. Can I yes. get away with get it away with one it. more time? Yes. You know, my girlfriend wanted me home at six o'clock. I came home at seven thirty, and I'm going to play this game until I get caught right. because it's like driving my car way too fast, or yep. or jumping yep. out of an exactly. airplane. Uh, with a backpack on instead of a parachute. I mean, it's just absolutely thrilling to do it. So in the area of celebration, it could be the thrill of yep. lying exactly. is really what's at the base. Yep. Oh, or it could, be, it could be exposure. That the reason why they're lying is the truth is so frightening it's fear. that yeah. a lie reduces the sense of risk exactly. or of danger risk. that I'm in. Right. So we can take any of the five emotions and begin exploring what's going on when an individual is a pathological liar or maybe not pathological, just habitual. It's their habit to continue lying. We can now, we have some, some words that we can begin to help that person explore what the lying is doing for them. What's it doing to me and what do I do with it? Those are the two key questions that we ask. Mm. That's, that's interesting. But a lot of it, I mean, it all comes down to, to understanding the brain and kind of how it works, right? Absolutely. Because the brain, the soul, the mind, the history, imagination. I mean, it comes down to the complexities of what makes us human and being able to 
put some language so you can talk about or think about some pretty complicated matters. The more simple the language, the more you can think about it. So I got one for you projection and how you project like for this, I'll use this for an example. Uh, when usually I see somebody that I don't like or somebody will come across my life and I'm like, God, that person just gets on my nerves. I can't stand them, everything about them. And, but when I really start looking a little bit deeper into it, what I've found is, is like, oh, well, it's not them that I don't like. It's the behaviors that they display that I do that I don't like. Right. <laughs> and and, so, and that really is looking in a mirror and seeing what you don't like, but instead of dealing with it in yourself and rejecting yourself, so to speak, you look at somebody else that displays the same behavior and reject that. And it's kind of a quasi valid way of at least addressing a personal flaw without actually dealing with it. So you can just get upset and use up the energy, at least for now, by blaming someone else or calling someone else out or whatever. And it's really is reflection of yourself. And it's, and it's, understanding that because it's if you don't know the rules to any game that you're playing <laughs> it's going to be really difficult to to win that game right yeah absolutely right. it is right and so we have a whole bunch of people that don't understand how the human brain works and why we do some of the things that we do and once like once i got my head around that and here is another one that i had learned is that i used to same sort of thing but I would attack my ex-girlfriend or my my da ex my daughter's mom, which is my ex, uh, on her weight. But I struggle with weight, and so it was like I would I would attack her on it, and then I turn around and go like, "Oh, there you go again," <laughs> you know, not wanting to deal with your own self and and projecting your dissatisfaction with the fact that you can't do X, Y, and Z around losing weight and then you project it onto them. But a good step towards health is that you recognize that critical part. When I criticize someone else for their weight issues, I'm really criticizing myself. That becomes part of gripping reality. I mean, that, that really is taking handle whether you do something with it or not is another step because yeah. we ask two questions. What's it doing to me? What, what am I going to do about it? So the other part is I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> I'm just going to complain. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of and, those. And out then there. sure. And then you just go on complaining and you're miserable and you go to bed and you're miserable tomorrow. And if you like being that way, then just be miserable. I mean, I'm not going to tell you can't be miserable, but if you want to stop being miserable all the time, then we can say, all right, you got a grip on it. Now, what do we do with it? That's the next step. Awesome. Go go I, ahead, Mike. No, I, I was just one of the comments you made uh, that you said was to win in <laughs> in the process, and and one of the things that we uh, we really teach and we train, which is a bit, um, I think, um, might be unnerving to some people in in the process is it um we use terms that and and it's not that mike and i are not competitive that that's, <laughs> that's that is the furthest from the truth 
But when it comes to we're not. I just win all the time. It's easy. For yeah, me. I know. See, I, you know, it's like, so well, I just act. You're, you're, so you're you're winning right now. You got the doctor in front of your name. Yeah. yeah. Well, I paid well, a lot of money nothing. for it. No, it means <laughs> nothing. nothing. At all. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but but one of the things that we we endeavor to do is to to deal with it from a neutral standpoint, and that's not a wishy washy kind of thing, but but when we enter into conversations and we're dealing with the emotional systems and we're dealing with the motivational systems and we're dealing with the perceptions and those kinds of things, uh, our whole, what we do is we, we endeavor to set aside our agenda. Uh, we use words that tend to be pretty neutral uh, that allow people to continue to to. Uh, to explain themselves in a very real fashion to try and help them realize where this is coming from. And I think so many times in discussions of what we're finding, particularly now in our culture, is that there's, there's just no, there's very little dialogue that's actually happening. It's a win-lose. It's my tribe, your tribe. It's us and them. And so there's, there's very little of this give and take that's very real there's a lot of shouting, okay? There's a lot of intensity, if you will, but there's not much understanding. And, you know, that takes a lot of work and it takes a bit of work on your part to sit back, to truly set your agenda aside and to hear the other person. Uh, Usually what's happening is that we're so busy with our rebuttal of what's going on and how we can actually win in this scenario that we are not hearing what people are really saying. Uh, we're not going beyond just all the bravado and all of the, the, the passion and the emotion and whatever else you want to call those things. And our goal is to help people, give them tools to move way past that. So that they can figure and out. And maybe really they can't move way going. past it. Maybe they can move they a little, move past a little it. bit past it. We'll take that. <laughs> maybe you know, we'll take maybe not a lot. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe just a why. small step. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that. We'll take anything if it's movement. We'll okay? take anything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but so much of what goes on is put into that scenario. I think of a win-loss kind of column. Column. I'm not against win loss. Okay, that's not the issue to me. Yeah, I think there's there's a there's an appropriate time for that. But when it comes to dynamic and human interpersonal relationships, and particularly as we're trying to understand and, and be a civilization and be community, if we don't I said need, if we don't push past that, okay, if we will not push past that, that's we have it. A, we're going to have a very difficult time understanding and come to any kind of working relationship that maintains any kind of dignity in people's lives. And that word is a wonderful word, but we just don't have much anymore. That is the word dignity because it drives within that the freedom to be able to be who you really are because there's a value you've given that person that says you are important and you have real value i want to know who you are so i can understand um that changes that changes the whole conversation 
when you move into that kind of realm. So how, so I hear you talking a lot about words and the way that you use them, the, the different kind of words um, that we use to describe certain things. What, how important in your opinion is are words um, especially like the kind of words that are flying around today? How important? How important are, are oh, they're huge. Part of the problem though, I think is that there's not a common language of what people are a common understanding of the words that are flying around there. And so I left to uh, decipher what that word means. And I may, I may decipher it totally because we're not in any kind of conversation. We're not in any kind of dialogue. There's no dignity left in this conversation. And so we don't even have to come to a basic understanding of what those words mean. One of the things that we do endeavor to do so much in our training is to give a tools we call and their words to, for people to understand, particularly with the dynamic of the emotions of intensity. So we start low, we go high in intensity, but give people real tools of what that looks like so that they have more than just one or two, you know, if you will, screwdrivers in the drawer so that they are much so more let's, let's take that and make so it more ahead. practical, Mike, because you're yeah, using a metaphor it. that may be hard to really grab a hold of. Let's take yeah, the area of, this, so that's right. of acceptance. <laughs> we'll take the area of acceptance which is in the simplest word, love. Acceptance is about bringing something from away and bringing it towards yourself. So to have it, to consume it, to enjoy it, to have it be part of your life. That's what it means in acceptance, to draw something in from away. So Mike and I have done a tremendous amount of work with adolescents. And, and one of the reasons for that is if you're going to manage the world as it is, work with adults. But if you want to change the world, work with adolescents. And the reason for that is between 12 and 25 or 30, virtually all of the major life decisions, values, um, experiences are going to be chosen by an individual for their adult life. Their childhood is spent under their parents' care. Their adulthood is spent on their independent life and adolescence is when they make a decision about all the various values of life. So as they move into uh, non-family relationships, dating, experiences, um, intellectual, educational, sexual, um, economic, all those kinds of whatever the nature of relationships is. And an early adolescent, 9, 10, 12 years old, will say to another person, I like you. That's the only word they know. I mean, it's like, I really like you. How much do you like me? I, I really like you. I, I like you. I really, really like you. I like you like this. I like you. This, I like you. They don't know any other word. There's no other word because you don't want to get to the other big L word. I love you because that's over the top. And there's only really two words that function in human relationships between two people who have an interest in one another. I like you. I love you. And then you can adjust those words a little bit. But once you get the big L word out, love, now it's we're in the big leagues. What other words are there? So what we begin 
is teaching new vocabulary to individuals so they can differentiate between liking, preferring, I desire you, I'm bonding, I'm connecting. We are profound friends. We understand, we think alike. We have a a lifelong commitment. We really love each other. We're family. We're addicted to each other. We are obsessed. Now it's getting out of control. It's getting too intense. It's beyond healthy. So we want to move our addictive behavior back to loving or devoted behavior. Uh, no, I, I, I've, I know exactly how it is because I'm the kind of person that doesn't uh, like, I keep people at really, even my girlfriend at a arm's length, you know, I don't let them in. Um, it's, uh, it's something that I'm working on, but it's really, it's a, it's a hard thing to get past. But the right. funny thing is, is that like what you're explaining uh, in the words and stuff, my daughter's going through this and she's uh, almost four. She's at that age where you're able to watch them, you know, learn words and they're learning things. And I'm telling her, how much do you love me? She's like, I love you this much, daddy, right. you know? And, and so it's, it's really cute, but it's also really interesting to see how the human develops. Absolutely. And her brain is gaining vocabulary that she may not actually understand when she starts to use those words. That's one of the fun things that we have in watching adolescents learn how to swear. And, and they may be using words. They actually don't know what the word means. They just know it's a bad word and other people get all upset. So we would, we would run youth events and uh, they're connected to the church. And so there's kind of this spoken or unspoken rule against using bad language. And it's really interesting to see kids that will push against that standard just to watch how do the adults go crazy when we use the S word or the F word or GD or whatever happens to be, whatever yeah. word they want to use. And then you really have no idea what you're talking about. Do you? It's so fun because instead of our overreacting to that, we'll just say, so could you say that again? Did, did you pronounce that correctly? I'm not sure you did. Could you say that again? And they say it again. <laughs> no, one more time. Can you say that again? And they're Wait a minute. You're the people in charge. Why are you asking me to keep swearing? I just want to make sure you're using the word right. Do you actually know the etymology? Do you know where that comes from in Latin or Greek? And they're going, get out of here. I'm not talking to you anymore. I've had it. No, keep using the word, please. It's, I mean, use it as often as you can. They don't actually understand quite what the word means or how to use it. They're practicing what they think is an adult behavior yeah. by using these various kinds of words. Yeah. And we can freak out and go uh, over the top in terms of overreaction. That cements. I got them. I got them again. Look yeah. at that. My mom, my dad, my pastor. I mean, they just went crazy over that. And when you, when you start playing the game of understanding and use of language, then it changes, it changes the experience quite a bit. And we have a lot of fun with that. 
<laughs> I bet. I know. I know. Sometimes when I'll I'll sit there and I'll be doing something and and all of a sudden I'll uh, just out of nowhere I'll just be like effing this and then all of a sudden she's like effing this and I'm no 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 don't 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 say that your mom's gonna kill me when I bring you back if you say it <laughs> if you say that well, the word. book the book that you held up before uh, has the S H and then an asterisk and then a T because the censors are going to say you can't say the word shit mm-hmm. in a book title you're not allowed to and what's interesting is she could have used the word poop mm. or she could have used the word crap or she could have used the word excrement or she could have used the word feces or she could have used Feces. the word output or she could have used the word dirt but none of those words have the reaction right that the s word has in good company which creates that sellable marketable we're dangerous we're at the edge we're gonna get your attention and if she said get your poop together it's like oh that's cute yeah. <laughs> get your dirty diaper in hand oh yeah okay all right uh get your doo-doo none of those work none of them work but when you have this this edge of language. That's why language is so important. The word chosen has profoundly different meanings, not only intellectually, but emotionally. And we pay attention to that. Yeah. Kind of like brand marketing. Brand marketing is all about oh, sure. words oh, yeah. and, 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 and colors and emotion and, and you know, what, what these different uh, colors evoking your emotion and all exactly. the other stuff that go with it. Uh, it's, it's man. And, and it leads right back to the human psyche, right? It does. All back Absolutely. to the mind. Oh, that's great. I have a couple of, I have one question right here. Um, describe your ideas of motivation and what is the fluidity variable in it? You want to start Mike? Oh God. Um, I mean, if you want a lateral, I can take it. I'll lateral. Let's start. <laughs> okay. I'll fill in. Mo- mo- motivation is one of the four complexes that we use to teach how reality works. You have perceptions, emotions, motivations, and behaviors. Motivations are the link that tie together our emotional response or reaction to our behavior. It's what are we motivated to do? So as Mike and I... Uh, We were teaching at a college and we were trying to find a way to help both faculty and students that seem to be at loggerheads with each other, not communicating very well, how to understand motivation. And so we developed a, a sense that there are five motivational drivers. Now, it's far more complex than that. I understand that. But the five drivers simplified an incredibly complex aspect of human experience into a way that we could talk about it. So the way we describe that is the most fluid, the least fixed, the most able to be changed is a conversation or words, thoughts. 
So we're talking about, let's just use the example of uh, we're going to order a pizza. And, and so we talk about what do you want on your pizza? That conversation can go in any direction. I want pepperoni. I hate pepperoni. Um, how about sausage? How about anchovies? How about hot peppers? You can talk about it and you change the toppings on the pizza easily because it's very fluid. When it goes to the next level, the second driver, we call that opinion or viewpoint. That's less fluid. It is more fixed. And a person says, no, I hate anchovies. I hate the smell of anchovies. If you put anchovies on, I'm leaving the room. This is my opinion. This is really solid for me. Now, it's no longer a conversation. It's now this is my viewpoint. And we're going to get into politics in just a second. I'll let Mike take over. <laughs> the third one that is more solid, more foundational, less fluid, we call values or givens. These are things that are important to me. These are values that I hold. And we put a third because sometimes values are in conflict and you have to pick which value you're going to act on. And right. that's sometimes difficult. So that's the one in the middle. The fourth uh, driver is far more fixed, far more foundational, and very difficult to change. And we call that habit or uh, something that is ongoing that I now do without thinking about it. It's my pattern. It is... I, I've developed a rut. And so now I don't really think about my motivation. I do it because I've done it. And that is what I've practiced. And then the fifth one we call culture right. or identity. And culture is the most foundational, the least fluid. So if a person says, um, I, I am... Italian, they're describing their culture. So if they then say, so what are we going to have on our pizza? Ah, the Italian pizza, the Italian pizza. And they go into this long description. You're not going to change their mind because it's not just habit. You mean you always have pizza that way? No, we're Italian. We have a, we have pizza the way pizza is supposed to be made because we're the ones who have made it. And you say, no, pizza was invented in New York City. No, it was. And you go, it's culture. So now we're at a motivational. Now let's go into politics. How do you feel about Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Talk Ooh. about it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Talk. No, 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 no. Talk about it at the most fluid level. Talk about it in opinion. Talk about it in values. Talk about it in habit. Talk about it in culture. And one of the things we find is when a topic of politics arises, a person will express, I'm not, I will say this is what I think, but this is all the way down at their cultural level. Right, right. So if I say, well, why don't you just change your mind? Why don't you become independent and vote for Bernie? Why don't you just drop out of politics? all day? No, you're at a person's cultural level. 
And now, if you want to discover their culture, that's what you talk about. Right. Right. And so what you see is when you think of it in those terms and that dynamic, it's it actually begins to make sense when you look particularly, let's just say it doesn't have to be politics or but we're looking at politics when people look at certain individuals, it could be politics, it could be um the latest Let, guru let's take on, one let's take one that matters to Sean. Let's talk about incarceration. Why so, are there people that get out of jail and are back in jail in three months? Because their culture is incarceration. Right. It's not a value, it's not a habit. It is the culture that creates the foundation of life. And so that individual, what's it doing to you? Well, I get three meals. I'm told what to do. I don't have to think. I wear the same clothing every single day. Um, I know what tomorrow is going to bring. It is absolutely fixed, and I need that. So that is a culture, which is not just an opinion or a value or a viewpoint. It is now something at an entirely different level, and the fluidity has dropped down to rock solid. I understand that. To me, that's not bad. To say, poor you, you have to live in prison. I, it's, it's not I want to consign them there. I want to discover what that person's reality is and how does it affect them and what do they do with that. So if, And if they say, but I don't want to live the rest of my life in prison, well, we have something to talk about. Because now it's not what do you do to not go back to prison, it is tell me about prison culture and how you fit into that culture. Now we can talk about something. It goes a little bit. I think it goes a little bit deeper than that, though. I mean, I think at the base, there there's that underlying thing where you know that there's safety and you don't have to think about anything and it's an easy life, right? You know, you're, you're like you said, you're told what to do. You don't have to go and get a job. You don't have to worry about um, you know, uh, bills and probation and right. all of the, all of the hoops that you got to jump through. But I don't really think that when guys get out, I mean, I think they really truly want to be out of there and they get out and they have this idea that, you know, Hey, I want to try this. You know, I want to try and do it better this time, but there's so many different variables when guys get out, you right. know, do you have a support system that's going to, you know, allow you to be able to, past those those hoops that you need to jump over whether it's uh probation whether it's the job not having a car um all of these things that make things a little bit a little bit more difficult for an individual to progress further then you have you know whether or not the person is coming back to the same sort of environment which is always going to be a, a huge detriment to their success because if you come back to the same sort of cities or the same sort of, um, you know, other kind of cultures, uh, the friends, the friend system, all of that, that's, that's a huge detriment. Sure. But, that, but John, but that's what we're talking about. The fluidity scale, because if you go back to the very same culture and you have not become different in any way, the culture is immutable. So when a person says, I don't want to go back, 
It's like Alcoholics Anonymous, change persons, places, and things. What's that doing is changing your culture. So to address a change of culture, not just a change of values or a change of mindset, it's a change of culture that's extremely difficult to do for some people. Now, others, it's going to be easier, but that's the fluidity scale. At some parts of motivation are extremely fluid. Some are extremely rigid. And we help people discover where are you on that fluidity scale? That's, that's really what the, that's what it's about. Yeah. Monica De, uh, Delia Cardazzo or Co- Co- Cardozo says even some go back to the same energy. And what I've noticed is when some people go back into whether it's their family or or a relationship or a loved one, you know, let's just say it's just a loved one in general that you have a toxic relationship with, you know, and you leave and then they're still nobody's done anything to sort of mend that toxic relationship you've got time away from each other but the moment you get back into that same sort of scenario the old habits just come back like that the toxicity boom it's your it's like you never even left and here we go we're off and running again um it's really oh it's 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 back to the mind right it's it's all internal things that that cause all this stuff so for us habits can be changed and it's a little easier to change a habit than to change culture and when somebody just as you're talking says you know my habits with my my ex and my friends my habits are this and i hear them say habits i'm thinking we're a driver four we're not a driver five we're a driver four so now we can begin talking about how does one change habits But if I hear you talking about your identity and your culture, now we're at driver five. Now we're going to be talking about shifting earthquake level. I mean, we got to move a tectonic plate down there. So I listen to the words that a person chooses and I know, hey, this is going to be fairly simple. It's a conversation. These are values. This is really a habit. This is their culture. And we're on the fluidity scale Subject to change, extremely difficult to change, and we can talk about that. Yeah, that's that. It's really interesting what you're what you're talking about. I definitely would be interested to hear more about this because I'm working on a nonprofit organization right now that I've started myself for guys that are um, coming out of incarceration, eighteen to twenty four year old males specifically, and trying to build some sort of a program for them to, you know, whether it's a year to a year and a half, but to go through all of these sort of things, you know, there's going to be a leadership course, which is about 10, 10, uh, 10, 10 weeks uh, that we've already got licensed to uh, teach in this. And this would be a fascinating one because this is the same thing that they all kind of, we all dealt with, you know, is, is how to take these habits that we've learned that become sort of second nature in auto responses and whatever it is that we do and how do we mitigate it in a way that it creates different, responses to um instead of instead of reactions you're creating responses yes now this might be very fortuitous for us to have this conversation with you because mike and i can can uh specify the principles into virtually 
any human situation. So with married couples or pre-married couples or divorced couples or couples where a spouse has passed away, we can create a course that deals with these principles in that venue, starting a business, ending a business, business conflict, a business stalemate. We can create a course that deals with that issue. First responders in fire, in police, in uh, rescue, we could develop a course there. People coming out of prison, people still in prison, people uh, in halfway situations, we could create a course that is specifically tailored to take principles and put them into workable structures that would directly apply to what you're trying to do. Awesome. Awesome. Now here's something really interesting. So Monica says some are habits that will not change. So are there any habits that you can't change or the ones you don't want to, (laughs) the ones you don't want to exactly. And I think that's what, you know, I mean, I'm obviously sitting here quiet, uh, for a while here, um, it's it's fascinating when you really start delving into the motivations, and and seeing it, see how culture takes over. And I think in the dynamic you'll see so many times, particularly in politics right now, where it's like people don't understand how is it you can still hang with this particular person when they've done all of these things, and it's obvious to everyone that they're you know they're less than stellar and and it's like why would you stay with them well culture you have bedrocked this thing out and says it doesn't matter i'm not changing off of that viewpoint that's the culture which i live in i'm not moving to that and so it it causes a a a dynamic that is one that to get past that is incredibly difficult. But the thing you're talking about, which is the but very not thing impossible, we talk about, but it's not, not impossible. impossible. It is difficult, but it is not impossible. And that's the difference. Is that I think so many times people just throw up their hands and say, Well, I can't talk to you and you're never gonna change and 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 they walk out the door on it. And yet it's not impossible. But the the process comes to, do you really want to change? Do you really want to own what you're doing? In other words, what has it been doing to you and what are you doing about it? And if it is you don't really like the life you're living and you seem to be getting the same results, doing the same thing over and over, is expecting something different, which we all know is insanity, what we're saying is that we can help you begin to navigate that and move up the chart, if you will, in motivations that moves you more to a place of flexibility where you're understanding what is going on and then be able to take that in and think it through. So people who are at the value level, which Mike referred to earlier, which is fascinating when you watch the dynamic that happens so many times politically on the national level, you have many people who are at the value level and they buy into and they start sliding into the habits and the culture, but they still maintain a large portion of value in what they're doing. And then all of a sudden something happens that it's like they all wake up from asleep and go, whoa, why? Because now there's conflict in the value system 
that is going on. And they're looking at this and going, well, wait a minute. I hold this value and this value, but they are loggerheads. I can't live like that. And then becomes real dialogue. Uh, I mean, if people are willing to get into that, but then what do they do? At some point, they have to choose in that dynamic. So either they're going to slide back down into habit and culture, or they're going to move up and say, I need to rethink this. I need to pull into this viewpoints and dialogue and try and figure out what's going on. Um, you know, as, as what's happening within what I thought was a pretty solid thing, but it's not solid at all in the way that I'm looking at this. So it really does help you to understand so, so uh, if a dynamic. habit, if a habit becomes deeply ingrained and a person says, I want to change this habit, but I, but I don't know how to do that. If the solution is to have conversations, uh, one of the campaigns that was very popular about drug use back in the 1980s was just say no. Well, that's a word. That's a conversation. The problem is you won't change a habit by a new word. You will change it by putting values in conflict, which seems a very mean thing to do at times, to walk people through value reconstruction and to put values into tension with each other as a means of breaking habit. And so changing habit can be done one stage above where that particular aspect is, not three stages above. So when a person says there are habits that cannot be changed, I don't believe that. If a habit can be developed, a habit can be changed. Exactly, exactly. And the question is, how are they changed just by new patterns of behavior? Maybe, but most often it is by creating values conflict. And the energy created by values conflict can change uh, virtually any habit. And I would say that what tales that, that, that goes right with that is community to have that actual interaction that takes place. So that there is that rub that takes place if you are in some kind of community. I think where people say, you know, well, we can't, I can't change. Well, are you in any kind of community that you have other orientation that people have a whole different perspective or is the only community you know, people who agree with everything you think? Uh, it's like, okay, that's nice, but you're not, if you really want to change, you want to change the dynamics, you want to change the habits that you got into, you built them. That makes absolutely right. You built a habit, you get out of the habit. So the question is, do you have anybody in your life that has a total different way of looking at life that can challenge you in community that is not really, really comfortable for you? And, and realistically, most human beings do not develop their habits in isolation uh, from all other human beings. They build habits, as Mike said, in community. And so if you want to, that's a value. I value these people. Exactly. These are my friends. They are important to me. What we do together accentuates and supports each other's uh, pathways. We build habits together. So... If you want to change the habit, change the people that you value. And that's a values conflict. 
But if you change the community around you, you can change the habits that have become very deeply ingrained. Not easy, but that's the way you do it. And so it's, it's exactly the same principle. Yeah, I know for myself, when I started listening to podcasts, um, I was listening to them for, I would say, you know, anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day on my commute, on my commute home in the eight hour shift or 10 hour shift, whichever one I was working that day. I was listening to Joe Rogan and I was following people like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson and Lex Friedman and all of these intellects, right? And all of a sudden, because of what I'm listening to, my mindset started changing without me even realizing it. Sure. Mm -hmm. And everything that I was listening to, I started wanting to be a better person. I wanted to start doing X, Y, and Z. I wanted to start, you know, showing up in a different way in my life just through what I was listening to. It was crazy. And yeah, another, and the 10 friends that you grew up with that caused all kinds of habitual trouble, let's say, you devalued those friends and increased the value of people that thought differently than you did. And your change in values changed your habits. So that that's, I mean, that's exactly how it works. That, that's right. precisely the method to do it. Yeah. That's also another one too, though, is this is one that's been really impactful on me is when I see behavior that I do in somebody else and I can go, Oh, wow. Is that what I look like? Yeah. That's really, th those are the, some of the ones that have like instantly made me change and, and switch everything up and go, Oh, I don't want to look like that. Sure. So Mon Mo Monica, she's left already, but she said, but sometimes it's habits that don't change, meaning that's where the home is, the roof over their head, their parents, abuse, so on. Uh, not many can make decisions like that. Uh, something about they can't afford to make wise decisions. Unfortunately, she sees that a lot in third world countries. Yeah, well, environment plays a big part in a lot of things, too. And, in, in, you know, what's your what you can and what you can't do and, and you know, what you can and can't afford to do and X, Y, and Z, I but changing, excuse me. But changing behaviors is free. I mean, you, you, that, that doesn't cost money. Sometimes. <laughs> well, unless you, unless you want to, you know, spend the big bucks on, on therapy and all the other things that go along with that um, or, or a coaching system or, or, you know, whatnot. I, I think, I mean, I think that she's, I understand what she's saying, and I think from a dynamic, if you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the way, you know, so that's home, that's a place of security, it's a place of stability, it's a place of belonging. Um, that alone develops culture. That alone is something that, that an individual, if you are about changing the dynamic in your life, you have, you, you, you will need that ability to look at that and realize that that has to change as well. And that most likely is not going to come easily. And it's certainly, I mean, I think most likely will not come out of just you, but it will come out of community where someone helps you see that. But again, it comes back to What's this doing to you and what are you going to do about it? Are you going to own that and realize that, yeah, this is a tough situation, but is that the only option I have to just keep doing the same culture I've had over and over and over 
because the result has gotten me where? Not very good results. So again, it's back to that ownership part of, of them realizing this really is impacting you in a, in a profound way. And that's self-awareness, right? Becoming yep. self-aware. And, you know, that's, I think self-awareness is the key to everything because until you become self-aware, you're just kind of, you, you can claim ignorance on everything that you do. Right. And what's that saying? You know, once right. you know better then you need to do better. Yep. That's true. All right. Well, um, we're at about an hour and three here. Do you want to wrap up with anything? Uh, do some plugs for yourself and your programs and, <laughs> we we are crazy people and we have a lot of fun when we train when uh, we get invited in we can do things on virtual we can do them uh, live either one of us can speak we can do cons- we do everything and and typically instead of our bringing in a pre-done package what we do is listen to the opportunity the challenge as described by our clients And then we take principles and devise a practical program that applies principles into the realities of life. And so that's what we do. And uh, with the COVID year, we've done a lot of stuff online. We started our podcast. We're writing books. I mean, we're just doing a ton of stuff. But but being able to get back into the, the real flow of life, conversations with real people on site, uh, live stage stuff we do, everything from main stage, main speaker down to breakouts. Uh, that's what we do. And instead of coming in with this nice pre-done uh, uh, nifty package, what we do is we listen, we ask questions, we get answers, and we ask better questions, and then we'll get somewhere. And that's that's really key. I mean, we, Mike and I have been through – who knows how many hundreds of different kinds of trainings and, and we really have no desire just to put something out there that is boilerplate for anybody. And, and we, we want to help people. We want to make a real difference. And so when we go into, and that's, that's really what we enjoy the most is when we both can be together and interacting with whatever group it is, uh, because it's at that point that we're able to really hone in on a lot of the issues. Uh, he talked about the university that we went in and spoke at. Uh, we uncovered stuff that we had no idea, uh, which was, but it was all because we sat down and listened. It was all because, and we, we literally changed in the middle of our, we had three days there about halfway through, we realized we have to change what we're doing right now because this we want to be more effective for these folks. We already, I think we're doing okay. We're doing well. But when we realized that there was such a huge disconnect between faculty, faculty, staff, and the student population itself at this private university, uh, we, we couldn't, we couldn't just walk away from that and, and do nothing. And so that's what we try to bring. Uh, our podcast is, uh, is gripping reality. Uh, you can find us at grippingreality.com as well as whitepeopleactthatway.com. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at Mike with a Y or Mike with an I at uh, grippingreality.com. Um, 
And uh, that, that's really the best way to start a conversation. Send us an email at Mike at grippingreality.com. You can spell Mike with a Y or an I. We share all the emails. We're interactive in terms of that communication. And that would start a conversation. And right. we, we can we can go from there. And we would we will do anything we can to uh, uh, assist a person in in getting a grip on the reality of their situation, finding out what is it doing to me and right. what can I do about it. And that's really what we're about. Simple as that. Yep. Yeah. And what it sounds like, too, is that instead of doing that whole cookie cutter package that you talked about, is that you're really actually because people in anything, we're all different. Yes. And so there's no one size fits all to anything in a human person. No. Right. Even identical twins are different. So you can't take this, <laughs> the same. The principle is going to be universal. But the application of that principle will be unique. And right. that and that's what we're about. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate your guys' time and coming on the show today and uh, giving me a little bit of insight on some of the things that I asked, absolutely have struggled with in the past and still struggle with today. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like and send us an email, Sean, if there's something that we can do with your program for incarcerated guys who are really trying to change the structures of their life. And there's some things that we could do to help in that. Uh, we would absolutely adore that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I'm going to take you up on that yeah, as well. For real. You know, I'll be talking to my vice president tomorrow. We're going to, we, we meet every Tuesday to, to brainstorm because we're right at the, the point where we're onboarding more people onto the uh, board of directors and sort of trying to figure out how to, how to take this to the next level of what we need to do. Awesome. So, That's a great work. That is an incredible yeah, work. You bet. You bet. Very much needed. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys, and I will be taking you up on that offer. And loved loved the conversation, and Super. we'll be following you some more. I'm gonna subscribe to your uh, to your podcast, your, your YouTube channel. Yeah, you got 26 subscribers, I think, right now. So, so far, you're, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have 20. You're gonna have Who 27 knows? here pretty 27. soon. <laughs> <laughs> We're just what we're trying to do is create a, a background of of material so that we can we have something to market and learn the ropes of doing this in a consistent way so right. so we're just getting started and uh and it'll be good to have you join us you yeah, know. absolutely. If you ever need any tips or tricks or any kind of help whatsoever, let nice. me know. I've been, I've been nice. doing this. Take the word if out. When? When we yeah. need help, we'll yeah. call you. <laughs> for sure. I've, I've, been, not if. <laughs> I've, I've been doing this thing for two years and you know, I do actually help produce top podcasts, edit and all the stuff, conceptualize, teach. All of those things. Actually, the one the project that I'm going to be doing here pretty at the at the soonest is uh, 16 to 18 year old. Um, uh, no, it's 16 to 21 year olds. I'm going to be teaching them the the 16 and 17 year olds are going to be separate from the 18, 19, and 20, 20, 21 year olds. But I'm going to be teaching them how to uh, start a podcast themselves um, in their community-based organization and, you know, the whole thing with it. So I think That's it's awesome. really important. Uh, podcasting really taught me it, what it did is it gave me my voice back and it gave me back my dignity. It gave me back the ability to have self-esteem and confidence and to be Excellent. able to navigate through. And what really taught me how to do is how to listen. 
<laughs> in in interviewing. So I that's appreciate everything that you guys are doing, man. Good deal. Thanks. All right. Thank you. All right. See ya. All right, everybody. There you go, man. That was pretty interesting. I uh, love talking about the mind and how it kind of works and, and everything that goes along with it. Uh, it's definitely one of those things that when you understand it, and you understand how the mind works, it really does help you to move through things uh, and, and learning how to respond intelligently instead of reacting emotionally. And that's, that's the key right there, in my opinion. Um, so once again, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by get past your shit. The book Kelly McCauzy is the author of this book. Get her in here. Uh, actually let's show her name in case you didn't see it over there or over there, wherever it is behind me. Um, and also too. The Nowhere to Go But Up podcast was just recently, I don't, I don't know if you can see it up here in the corner, up on the top over here, uh, for the best uh, mental health podcast. So that was a pretty interesting uh, and, and exciting uh, thing that we did. And uh, I was super grateful for the experience. The The scene snobs uh, blessed us with a snobby, their first uh, snobby award. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and also, yeah, that's it. So stay tuned. Come back at uh, four o'clock this afternoon, uh, Pacific time. And we'll be talking to Dan Reeves from the uh, Spiritual Underground podcast. Uh, until then, Keep it 100. Stay true to yourself. Everything else is just noise. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.